This program has been made possible through the support of Vanda, creators of solutions for non-24 disorder. ACB thanks Vanda for their support. Learn more about non-24 by visiting their website at www.non24.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at least those of us in U.S. and listening live. My name is Tom Jones, and welcome, everybody, to Diabetics Fitness 101. And we really have a great show for you today. Uh, what is ACBDA after all? Anyway, well, ACBDA is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, and we are actually, we're trying to uh, let everyone know about membership, which if you want to do that, uh, we have you uh, an email address to write to, which is acbdaorg at gmail.com. And there they will tell you all what you need to know to get started. We have two wonderful speakers today, Karen Chemis and Steve Bauer, who will probably tell you all about what to do about fitness. And before I do that, I need to give, uh, uh, for those people who are doing CEU codes, we are going to give you the beginning code now, which is 40112. That's 40112. And I love technology when it does that. And we'll we'll go with Karen Chemnitz first, and we can let Steve Bauer say hello, too, in a moment. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I'm such a pleasure to be here today. I'm going to talk about physical activity and exercise with diabetes and visual impairment or blindness. A teeny bit about myself. I'm a physical therapist of several decades. I'm a registered nurse of a few years. I have a geriatric clinical specialty from the American Physical Therapy Association. I have a certification in diabetes care and education specialist, which was formerly certified diabetes educator or CDE. And I'm a fellow of the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. And I work at a Joslin Diabetes Center at SUNY Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. Um, I'm not sure if Tom, if, excuse me, if Steve is ready to introduce himself, if he's connected. I was going to ask the same question. Have we managed to get technology working for us to get Steve on board? Well, the, on fa- the-, the famous phrase, can you hear me now? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sorry Thanks, about Steve. that. I uh, somehow got, uh, I used the panelist link and I got logged in as a participant. So I'm not sure what happened, but thanks to whoever uh, moved me. Uh, I'm Steve Bauer. I'm on the board of directors of California Council of the Blind, and I'll be here to talk about a, uh, a project we have going, uh, a partnership with a company called On The Move, and they make this awesome little uh, mini tread that a lot of us are using as we're at the convention. Uh, basically a, a sit mill or a treadmill that you can use while you're seated. And uh, CCB thought so much of it that we're now selling it. And I'll be talking more about that later. Well, I'm glad to tell you that uh, we have ours. Uh, we got a hold of one of those. In fact, we each, my wife and I both have one. So we're kind of excited about those. They really do what they are advertised to do. And if you don't believe me, get one and try it for about a minute and a half. And then ask, ask yourself, 
boy, did I learn get some help with that? Yes, I did. So, Thanks for the great testimonial, Steve. Bob. A lot of us feel oh. the same way. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure that those people who have it uh, really are glad they have it. I look forward to hearing more about it. Um, as I go through my presentation, one thing I'll get to are some of the challenges and any opportunity we have to overcome some challenges is, you know, just so helpful. And so I do look forward to hearing more about the product. So I'm going to get started. Um, my presentation, we're going to go through some of the benefits of physical activity and exercise. I mean, why bother unless it's beneficial? And then I'll go through what is recommended for physical activity and exercise for those with diabetes. And, and then we'll finish up with some options for those with visual impairment and blindness. And Steve will pop in a couple times. We'll uh, pass the baton back and forth. So first I want to talk about um, this cyclic challenge that we have with blindness, visual impairment, decreased activity, and diabetes. Um, there's, there is a relationship between the, the three pieces. If somebody has decreased activity, that um, is one risk factor to the onset of prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. With diabetes, there is a risk of visual impairment or blindness due to complications. And we know that people who have blindness or visual impairment are less active um, than those with normal vision. So any way that we can intervene in this cyclic challenge is going to be really helpful. So hopefully we'll get some recommendations and strategies. So I tend to use the words physical activity and exercise interchangeably to some extent, and they're, they're really not interchangeable. I want to define what each means. Um, the good thing is if an individual does physical activity that can be as helpful as exercise. So physical activity is described as any bodily movement that uses the skeletal muscles and requires energy. It can include house activities, yard activities, childcare, recreational activities, work activities. Anytime we move throughout the day using our muscles, that's a physical activity. Exercise is a subset of physical activity. It's when it is a planned, structured, repetitive activity with the goal of improving or maintaining fitness. So I like to use as an example, I live about a half mile from uh, the local drugstore. If I say to myself, I'm going to go down to the drugstore, I'm going to walk down and get milk, and I'm going to walk home. My goal is to get milk. If I say, I'm going to go for a walk for a mile to help strengthen my heart or burn calories, I've now made that into an exercise. If you think about it, we're splitting hairs to some extent because I have a one mile walk either way. So there is a difference, but they can have a lot of similarities. And again, as long as we're moving, it doesn't matter if it's through recreational activity, house chores, yard work, or as exercise that can all be extremely helpful to our health. So I have a, a couple of graphics here. Physical activity can be climbing the stairs. If you live in a two-story house or you have stairs at your entry and you climb up them, that's a physical activity. It gets you in the house or to a different level of the house. 
I have a graphic of somebody fishing. So it just points out recreational activities can be a type of physical activity. For exercise, I have a picture of somebody doing yoga. Yoga is generally considered an exercise. We generally do it with certain health goals in mind, increasing flexibility, increasing balance, burning calories, and then walking. I and mean, walking can really go in either, but again, it's what if you nail a goal to the walk that makes it different. So again, they're pretty interchangeable when it comes down to what we want to accomplish. So now I want to touch on the benefits of physical activity or exercise. There are so many benefits. I put a grouping here, but that's not all of them for sure. If we're talking about diabetes or prediabetes, physical activity and exercise clearly improve blood, blood glucose control. As one does an activity, it lowers blood glucose or blood sugar at that moment in time. And then over the course of days and weeks and months and years, we will see an overall improvement in blood glucose. Typically, we think of the hemoglobin A1C when we think about blood glucose control. Time and range on a continuous glucose monitor gives us that information. But the bottom line is we help blood sugars lower to goal ranges. Exercise or physical activity also decreases insulin resistance. So for an individual with um, type 2 diabetes, Part of the problem is that the insulin is produced at the pancreas, but when it gets to the cells, it can't be used well. There's resistance to its use. Being active actually improves insulin resistance. Exercise and activity can assist with weight loss or maintenance of weight loss. I will tell you if somebody wants to lose weight, the quickest way to that is to decrease calorie intake with our foods and fluids. But to maintain a weight loss, exercise is very, very important. Those who are successful in losing weight and maintaining the weight loss are typically exercisers. Exercise helps to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke. So it helps the heart and it helps the cardiovascular system in general. Something that comes into play when we think about individuals with visual impairment or blindness is Balance challenges and exercise specifically for balance can improve balance. It can increase bone density um, by putting stress through the bones. The bones respond by getting stronger, so we can have decreased risk of fractures. And there's a psychological or emotional improvement um, with exercise and physical activity. It's been clearly shown to decrease stress, anxiety, and depression. And then I have a final bullet. We have clear evidence that a certain amount of physical activity and the guidelines I'll go through in a moment, they're the same for everybody, can help to delay or prevent the onset of type 2 diabetes. So lots of great benefits. There's a quote from Dr. Robert Butler, who was the founding director of the National Institute on Aging. He said, if exercise could be packaged in a pill, it would be the single most widely prescribed and beneficial medicine in the nation. Exercise helps so many things, though I do know it's a hard pill to swallow. So there come some of the challenges. There's four different major categories of exercise or physical activity. So I just want to touch on those. And then later I'll go through the recommendations for each of those for somebody with diabetes. So the first one and the one that most people engage in 
um, is aerobic exercise or cardiovascular exercise. This is when we do rhythmic, repeated, continuous movements. We want to spend at least 10 minutes for it to be counted as aerobic activity. And some perfect examples are walking, bicycling, swimming, water exercise. Those activities that use lots of body parts in our steady movement for several minutes. So I try to think about some aerobic physical activities. So not exercise, but physical activities. And the one I often come up with is vacuuming. If you vacuum, arms and legs and core muscles are all working. It's steady, takes a lot of minutes. Um, Walking behind a lawnmower would be the same. Any of those physical activities that are constant movement for several minutes. And aerobic activity is incredibly helpful for people with diabetes and lowering blood sugar and helping the cardiovascular system. Our next big category is resistance or strength exercise. And this is simply exercise that uses our muscular strength, such as when we move a weight or work against gravity. This can include you know, weight lifting with weight machines, with hand weights, with exercise bands, or using our body weight against gravity. So for physical activities that are strengthening, it's anything that you might do that's pretty strenuous that you would only want to do maybe 8 or 10 or 15 repetitions. Stair climbing is a good example of a strengthening activity. I don't know about you, but when I get to the top of one or two flights of stairs, my legs are tired. That's like going to the gym and doing a leg press machine, but you have it usually more accessible than that. So anything that's strenuous. Another one of my favorite strengthening activities for the lower body is standing up from a chair without using arms to assist. It's a great leg exercise, sitting back down as well. The third category I've included are balance exercises. And as I mentioned, we know this can be a problem. People with diabetes have a few uh, reasons to have challenges with balance. Um, Generally, decreased muscle strength, which contributes to balance problems. The potential for visual issues, which can decrease our balance. And um, people that have neuropathy, so they can't feel perfectly through the feet, ankles, lower extremities in general, that can contribute to balance challenges. So how do we fix that? with balance exercises, which are generally considered any activities that challenge our balance. We generally want to do balance exercises in standing because generally we want to be good good at standing and walking. Sitting balance exercises are really only useful for somebody who's limited to sitting in life. So anybody that's up and about should really be doing standing um, and moving around balance exercises. With balance exercises, we should feel wobbly but safe. So if you're in a balanced position trying to exercise and you feel really steady, unfortunately, you're not helping yourself because it's not hard enough yet. So you should feel a little off balance. Your feet and ankles should be wobbling. Your feet muscles should be working hard. That's what helps to improve our balance. For physical activities that involve balance work, walking on uneven surfaces like on cobblestones or even grass really can, you know, it's constantly throwing us off balance and our body's having to make sure that we remain balanced. So that sort of thing can really help with balance. And the fourth category, flexibility exercises, generally just stretching. 
And this can help to increase range of motion in any joint that we're moving and flexibility in the muscles around the joints. So there certainly are stretching exercises. Yoga is a good example. Stretching physical activities, you know, putting on jackets, putting, you know, sliding one arm and sliding the other, reaching overhead for objects, um, anything that we're kind of stretching our body or making sure that we move through our full range of motion can be helpful. So now I'm going to pop into the recommendations and then I'll turn it over to Steve when I get through this little grouping. So interestingly, the more recent, probably four years ago, new strong recommendation by the American Diabetes Association, which really puts out the recommendations for physical activity and exercise with individuals with diabetes is to decrease sitting. That's one of those things that, you know, the science demonstrated that less sitting is helpful for our health. It does strike me a bit funny that we need science to prove this. I think we all sort of know this, but it came out in the recommendations and it is really, really important. I think about what the pandemic has done. People have become much more sedentary. I know in our practice, we've seen an increase in young individuals, teenagers getting type 2 diabetes, and kids that didn't get to go to school, you know, not even getting on a bus, off a bus, walking within a school, sitting in front of computers to learn over the last year and a half um, has increased that sedentary activity. So it's a strong recommendation. Break up any sedentary activity by moving around at least once every 30 minutes. So maybe setting a timer or just trying to, you know, keep an eye on things every 30 minutes, get up and wiggle a little bit. Though Steve has an excellent option for that with the the sitting treadmill. For aerobic exercise, the guideline or the recommendation is 150 minutes or more per week. Kind of sounds like a lot. I like to break it down. That could be 30 minutes, five times a week. 10 minutes, 15 times a week. We can really break it up however we want. And this is moderate to vigorous activity. So it should feel like, you know, it's strenuous enough that we're a little bit short of breath, but not more than that. Another option for those who are more physically fit, it would be to do 75 minutes or more per week of vigorous training or interval training. So really kind of some spurts, or continuous where we're a little bit more short of breath. And generally, exercise for aerobic should be done at least three days per week with no more than two days without. But again, break it up however it it works for you you or anybody you're working with. So if somebody says, I can't do 30 minutes at a time, 10 minutes, 15 times per week, 30 minutes, five times per week, that is really incredibly helpful. It doesn't matter how we get to that 150 minutes. And if there's one number you'll think about at the end of this program, I hope it's 150 minutes because that's that general guideline. For strength training, the guidelines are, and it's interesting for diabetes, it's the same as for the, you know, any American adult. Try to hit all the major muscle groups. So eight to 12 exercises. If you think about in a gym, that's about how many machines in a circuit to get to all the muscle groups, one to three sets. And we should do eight to 10 repetitions, but it should be with a resistance or a weight that is challenging enough 
that we're fatigued by eight to 10 repetitions. So it's not taking a little teeny one pound weight that you might be able to move a hundred times and doing 10 of those. It's using some resistance that by the 10th repetition, there's a little shake in the muscle, a little bit of a struggle. That's what makes us stronger. This should be done two to three days per week on an every other day basis. For balance, I already kind of mentioned some of this. It should be done such that there is a challenge. So we should feel wobbly, a little off balance, but safe. So some different ways to do that, get into different um, stance positions. So I, I have something in a little bit that talks about like feet next to each other or feet in a heel to toe pattern or standing on one leg. There's some balance equipment that can be used like Dyna discs, things to stand on that throw you off balance. Lower body strength is really important in balance. So if there's weakness, especially at the foot, ankle, around the knee, around the hip, that's really important to work on. And then core strengthening. If you do balance, you'll kind of feel the muscles of your abdominal area and your back tense up gently. Tai Chi is an exceptional way to work on balance. It can be done in the home. It can be done in a community center with a you know video. It, it's very safe. It's excellent for balance training. It's great for lower body strengthening and can really be done by almost everybody. Balance exercise is moderate intensity, but again, that's by feeling like you're wobbly. Any duration, some people will do like a half hour Tai Chi practice. Some people work on it, you know, 30 seconds, several times during the day, standing heel to toe while brushing teeth, standing on one leg at the kitchen sink, whatever, um, and at least two or three days a week. And then the, the last piece of the recommendations, flexibility exercise. And this is specifically for people who notice that they have stiffness in a particular area. Um, everybody doesn't have to do stretching, but it can be helpful for some. Stretching can be done either still statically or with movement dynamically. And yoga is an excellent way to do stretching. Stretching should be done to the point of gentle tightness, but certainly not like you feel like your muscles are going to cramp. We would hold a stretch for 10 to 30 seconds and do two to four repetitions in at least two or three days a week. Yoga and Tai Chi really help with um, strengthening, stretching, and balance. So those are good options. One more slide before I turn it over. The recommendations for children and adolescents. This is for children or teens with type 1 or type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. And honestly, it's the same exact thing for all kids in the United States. At least 60 minutes a day of moderate or vigorous intensity aerobic activity and at least three days a week of vigorous muscle strengthening and bone strengthening activities. So more simply said, children should get out and play and be active and not sit as much and try to hit that 60 minutes a day and just do all sorts of movement activities that can hopefully make them stronger, build good bone strength, um, help balance, help burn calories, help lower blood glucose, et cetera. And again, that's the same for all American children and teens. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Steve. Um, we talked about how the American Council of the Blind has the um, get up and move and get moving campaign. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment and let Steve talk to you. 
Well, thanks, Karen. That's a great overview of uh, all the different choices we have for exercise. I mean, there's no excuse because everybody can find what works for them. And uh, it's just so important. Um, So I'm going to pull back from Karen's 30,000 view and kind of focus on one of those choices. And uh, she talked a lot about aerobic exercise, and this is certainly one of them. Um, back up just a bit and give you a little bit of history. Uh, four years ago, when we were all at the Reno convention at ACB, um, there was a company that showed up uh, called On The Move. It was O-N-T-H-E-M-U-V, which I later found out the, uh, they spell it that way because it's Movement Unleashes Vitality. But they showed up at the convention with uh, uh, this little uh, device that I wasn't sure what to think. It was a treadmill that you used while seated and a very small device uh it's about 20 by 20 and uh weighs about 23 pounds we like to think of it as about the size of an airline seat cushion and basically what you do is you put the device in front of you it's uh, electric it plugs into the wall you put your feet on the top of the device it's got like you know kind of a pad that then when you turn the motor on it starts moving and what you're doing is a walking motion on this device while you're in a seated position and um we a lot of us just loved it and it was a prototype they weren't actually selling it yet but we're all saying gosh this is great i mean uh and and the big thing for me i think about using this and i didn't realize this until i actually had one in my home is that uh, uh exercise is great but a lot of us you know are bad we don't take the time to do stuff like that i i had a uh, a large exercise bike that somebody took a lot of trouble to put braille labels on all the buttons and everything and the only problem with it was that i had to make time and actually go and exercise and do nothing else um with the mini tread um i'm able to put it here by my desk and so when i'm talking on zoom or on acb conference calls or um, you know reading email or listening to podcasts whatever i've got this device here with me i can put my feet on it start it up and i'm moving my feet um, while I'm doing something else. So, yeah, it's really important to get up and stand up every uh, half an hour or so, and I totally agree with that. But while I'm sitting and doing other things, I can actually be moving my feet. The device runs from three-tenths of a mile to two-and-a-half miles, and it doesn't sound like much, but after you've been on it for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it actually uh, you can start to build up a pretty good sweat. Um, there's actually been studies uh, done uh, by the folks that have worked with On The Move, and they're f- uh, figuring that it burns uh, about 91% of the calories that you would use um, if you were actually on a, a, a conventional treadmill. So you're seated, you're doing something else, and you're getting almost as much benefit from the exercises if you were doing a, a, uh, another activity. Uh, we all loved it. Uh, we all thought this is great for, uh, especially for the blind, visually impaired community. You don't need to worry about, you know, you buy an extra typical exercise machine. And like I say, even my bicycle, I had to spend a lot of time and get sighted assistance marking the thing up. 
this out of the box. It is accessible. No going to the gym or anything like that. You just plug it in, turn it on, and it works. And it is effective. Like I said, after you use the thing for a while, um, you can start to build up a pretty good sweat. Uh, obviously, everybody is different as far as uh, how fast you're going and and that sort of thing. But we figure for a lot of folks, it burns about 180 calories per hour. So, um it's uh it's it's been really pretty good uh, for a lot of folks and people at the convention were saying gee where do i get this where do i get this and uh on the move was saying well we're going to go into production soon we hope and uh, we'll let you know and we had more conversations with them and you know they when they had this device they envisioned it for a lot of uses but one of the big things they thought it would be good for folks with disabilities and they said gee we'd love to sell to blind folks and we said we gee we'd love to have our members have have access to this and the long uh, short version of the long story is we decided to enter into a partnership where uh, we would sell these devices uh, on our website and uh, you know get a small percentage of the profit and have it as a fundraiser for uh, CCB and we've been doing this now for um, gosh I don't know, I want to say a little over a year and uh, you know it started out slow because there was a, mm, manufacturing glitches and different things and then of course covid screwed everything up but uh, we're finally up to full speed now and um we are selling the devices um it is uh kind of like a, when you're walking on it uh, people say you know what's it like it's sort of a cross between riding a bicycle and being on a treadmill because you are seated um, but you know you're still moving your feet uh, right now the device will calculate uh, steps distance and calories on a an LCD display on the, the screen unfortunately this is not yet accessible to us unless we use something like IRA or that sort of thing to uh, read it back to us but we are hoping uh, in the near future to come out with a talking remote that will give us the same information uh, verbally what we have done for accessibility is uh, the inventor of the mini tread Patrick Netter and I have recorded an audio version of the manual which is available on our website and we don't just read the manual but we actually describe things so that there's nothing at all to setting this machine up you take it out of the box you plug it in you plug in the remote and we do describe in great detail you know, what the buttons do on the remote they're all different shapes and so there's no issue with you know getting anybody to help you figure out um you know what's what's going on with the device and uh we've you know sold a few dozen of them now to our members here in the state and uh through this convention and other options uh folks around the country and uh people are just loving it it's I, the, the big thing i think is just the but for me anyway and for a lot of folks it's the multitasking aspect i don't need to take time out of my day to go exercise i just turn the thing on and you know run it for 10 minutes and i uh, start to get a little sweaty tired i turn it off and then you know 20 i can turn it back on again anytime that i want to so the device typically sells for uh 449 um and we have a convention special going on this week we're selling it for twenty dollars off uh we have an ad in the newspaper it's in the list of zoom uh, rooms and stuff like that or you can go to uh, our website ccbnet.org that's the california council of the blind website ccbnet.org 
Uh, if you want to get any more information about it, there's a link there that says get fit while you sit, which is kind of uh, uh, not to take away anything from what Karen was saying about getting up from your seat once in a while. That's a very good idea. But we all know we're going to be in that seat a long time and you might as well be getting some good out of it. So uh, get fit while you sit has become kind of uh, our mantra. So I'll pass it back to Karen. And uh, after she's done, I'd be happy to you know take any questions anybody has. Um, and uh, thank you all for coming. Thanks, Steve. I, I taught a class before I um, came home to, to present today, and I said to the, um, the group, I, as a physical therapist, I stood and I walked around all day long, and I picked up weights, and I moved body parts, and now I'm a nursing supervisor for the diabetes educators I work with, and I get paid to sit. So I love anything that breaks that up. It's amazing what a difference, how much you can accomplish. People don't pay me to walk around anymore. And I think that's the case with a lot of us. Our activities are pretty sedentary. So as you were describing it, I was sitting here without a nice device and kind of doing the action. And you get big leg muscles working. The bigger the muscles, the more benefit we get. As I was doing it, definitely your core muscles kick in. So you're getting probably, you know, more than 75% of the muscles of your body activated while doing that type of activity. So great option. And it does save going to the gym. I mean, all these barriers that get in the way of exercise, taking more time, having to go someplace, it, it really, anything we can do to break down those barriers is wonderful. And again, the 150 minutes per week can be accomplished any way you want to do it. I can't imagine how many minutes per week you could do with a device like that. So awesome. Thanks for talking. Um, oops, I'm go on to my next slide. So, so I used for this next section um, exercises for visually impaired and blind. I used as a resource a really nice article. It's been out for a few years, but it still is. It's perfect. The National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability put this art is that's where the article is from, and I have the website listed here. And it's just got some great information on different possibilities. I'm going to go through several of them. You know, as I do, I'm sure there's some things that suit different individuals and other things that you're like, I'm never going to do this. And that's okay. We just all have to find what works for us. So I'm going to start with kind of the basics, running and walking, different ways to um, have adaptations for people who are visually impaired or blind using a guide dog, a sighted guide, a guide wire, a tether, a collar, or a cane. So, you know, lots of opportunities. And honestly, you know, most of us have to walk around during the day to function. So it's turning it into an exercise. There is the possibility, especially with somebody with some sight, to be on a track without assistance. A treadmill, we just talked about the sitting treadmill. So on a treadmill, you've got good stability. Um, it's, you know, it's nice and safe. So some of the negatives are, um, especially with equipment like a treadmill, it can be boring. Um, I think people can find entertainment if they get music they enjoy, um, have a, a television show on, listen to audio books, lots of different opportunities for that. Um, and with the sitting treadwalker, you get to actually do work or be on the computer or whatever. So however you can make those things interesting, all the better. Um, the next option is a bicycle. 
So it, this can be done sometimes independently if an individual has some vision. Uh, tandem bicycles are an option. My husband, many, 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 many years ago, is a college student, had a part-time job where he worked for a, a philosophy professor who was blind. And so he helped him grade papers. And they would, to exercise, they had a tandem bike. So um, I'm seeing my husband ride a bike, and I'm not sure who was better off with that. But anyway, that was their exercise. Um, Surrey or duo bikes. And then a stationary bicycle or stand, um, it, it can be a close hanger for a lot of people. Some people find their niche doing a stationary bicycle or a bicycle that's on a stand. Again, it can be boring. So some people can just do it to do it. I think uh, a lot of people need some entertainment. So music, TV, audio books. Another option is swimming. So this can be done with trailing using lines or the wall. Treading water is great exercise. Um, water aerobics with somebody who's really giving good instructions. Doing water walking. And I, I have a photo on this slide where people can see it. With It's kind of like a lazy river in a pool with people walking, walking laps. Um, you, can, you can go to any lap pool and walk or jog in the water. There's flotation devices like a vest that you can clip on that makes it really nice to do. Um, and then the potential of canoeing or kayaking with a partner. Another option is to go to a fitness facility. I think people are either, this is what I love to do, or this is what I don't like to do. If you or somebody you're working with is an individual that enjoys fitness facilities, that's great. It's an opportunity. So aerobics with good verbal cues from the instructor. I think that presents a nice challenge for them using any of the equipment, treadmill, stationary bike, elliptical, stair machine, or the resistance equipment. With anybody starting in a fitness facility, guidance is important, especially if you're not an exercise specialist yourself. And then certainly somebody with um, visual impairment or blindness would need more assistance to get started with that. In the home, um, using videos, I mean, I've practiced a long time from the times where we used to have, oh gosh, I started practicing in the VCR days. I still have one behind me. It's a little embarrassing. Um, but there's now what do we do? We go on the computer and search for whatever you want to do. There's aerobics online. There's, you know, you can do yoga classes, blotty, tai chi, sitting. I clearly have found a challenge in getting exercise programs that give enough description that if somebody doesn't have visual input, it could be a challenge. I guess one thing about that is if you're in the home and you're by yourself, nobody's watching you. So as long as you're moving, it kind of doesn't matter. I think if you're in a, in a class in a facility, maybe it's a different story. But if you're home, do what you want to do. Years ago, I took, I started Pilates training and I had never taken it before. And I was listening to the instructor very intently and all the other people in the group had been experienced in Pilates. And I was doing exactly what he was saying as far as the words I heard. And once in a while, I kind of look around and I think, oh, why am I the only one doing this move and everybody else is doing something else? Oh, well, when you're by yourself, it doesn't matter. Um, at home, we can have treadmill, stationary bike, elliptical, stair machine, glider. Of course, they all come at a cost. So 
definitely choosing something that is worth the investment. Um, jump roping is a possibility that takes coordination. Um, some people might be able to do that. And then using resistance exercise um, like weights, exercise tubes or bands or body weights. And then the last piece I'll talk about is balance. And again, this is you know, really important for people who have visual impairment or are blind, people with diabetes who have neuropathy, um, older individuals who have lower extremity strength issues. A lot of people have balance issues. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't know they can improve. So if I said to you, you know, if you want to get stronger, what would you do? I think a lot of people go, well, I would do strengthening exercises. You know, if you want to get a stronger heart, what would you do? I would do aerobic exercises. If you want to improve balance, I don't think people necessarily say, oh, I should do balance exercises, but they can be very, very helpful. So again, I've got lower extremity strength because if there's weakness, then the muscles can't work well enough and quickly enough to have good balance. So that's kind of the baseline. And then to try different challenging positions. So um, if we're in a situation where we're in a room, I'd probably have you all stand up and try these, but uh, do as you will at home. Narrow stance is just standing with the feet next to each other, but tight touching each other. If that's challenging and an individual feels wobbly, that's a good start. If an individual feels nice and steady, it's a waste of time. So then try one foot shifted half in front of the other. Does that make the feet and ankles start to wobble? Then that would be a good position. Tandem is heel to toe, like being on a tightrope. And then single limb, obviously being just on one foot at a time. And then to just mix it up. So be in whatever position is slightly challenging, a little bit wobbly, and move arms around, move the trunk around, turn head back and forth. There's so many different things that we can do superimposed on that slightly challenging stance to make it a really, really good exercise. Um, Walking down a hallway at home in a heel-to-toe pattern is if there's a tightrope is an excellent way to work on balance. So these are all things that can definitely be done at home. So dynamic balance, I kind of mentioned a little bit, but there's some balance equipment like a Dynadisc where one can stand on. It's a, it's a rubber disc with some air in it, and it can be very, very challenging. So we'd always want to be in a safe situation, ready to touch a solid surface. Um, heel-to-toe walking down the hall. What a great way to, you don't have to do anything extra. If you're walking down the hall, do it as if on a tightrope. Clock patterns. So standing with both feet as if on the center of a clock, and then you could start with move the right foot up to where 12 would be, back to the center. Right foot goes to where one would be, back to the center, out to two, three, four, five, six. And then the left can go back to six, center, seven, center, and work around to 12 again. Go forward, go backward, do even numbers only, do odd numbers only. Great way to get some good ankle footwork. Stepping over obstacles is another good thing to do. And then grapevines are karaoke. So grapevines are stepping like crossing right foot in front every step, crossing left foot in front or in back. And karaoke is just mixing it up. Right goes in front, left goes in back, right goes in, or excuse me, right goes in front, right goes in back. And you step sideways with this crossing over of feet. Again, initially, maybe do it along the counter where it's nice and safe, but a very nice way to work on balance all in the home. No fuss.
There's some social recreational activities that are available, doing dance, doing bowling, hunting, fishing, camping. Of course, many of these would require some assistive devices or adaptations to help an individual who's visually impaired or blind. And then there's some programs available, golfing programs, bowling, sailing, skiing, ice skating, bodybuilding, judo, beep baseball, and blind cricket. So some different options. Hopefully everybody can find something they enjoy. In general, the bottom line when working with an individual who's visually impaired or blind, or if if that's your situation, encouraging activity and discouraging inactivity, trying to move about the house, the yard, mopping, sweeping, gardening, washing the car, whatever the case may be. Um, Simple things to take more steps like parking further away, using stairs, not elevators, if that's appropriate, walking the dog, running errands, standing or walking during commercials, and limiting TV and computer time unless you have the tread walker, the mini tread, because then you're getting two things done at the same time. There's some activity specialists that might be helpful for an individual to work with to get started. Physical therapists are a possibility. We're hospital-based or outpatient in home care and in cardiac rehab. Occupational therapists are wonderful with balance work. Again, hospital-based, outpatient, home care. And then exercise physiologists sometimes would um, be accessible in university settings or in diabetes or cardiac programs. So helping an individual get the help they need to get started. But there's lots of possibilities, hopefully. And that's what I have. I will turn it back. Do you have any questions? Okay, now I'm going to ask our host if we have any hands up. Yes, we have hands raised. Deborah Armstrong, you may speak. I'm going to ask sort of a devil's advocate question of Steve. Um, You know, before the mini tread, I had done a lot of research for uh, under desk exercise bikes. And there's the desk cycle. There's the UB duo. And I ended up buying myself a sunny health and fitness mini bike, which got very good reviews. Um, what I want to know is why do I, why would you want something with electricity when you can get an under-desk bike? What's the advantage of the electricity? Thank um, you. The big thing for me uh, with that, and, and actually uh, on, uh, uh, on the move, was selling uh, a device called the SitMill. And they'll be selling that again. We're not sure because they have a new model. They've made done some redesign things. And uh, some folks like the manual. Some folks like the electric. Uh, I personally like the electric because with a manual device, if I'm multitasking, if I, if I, I always have to constantly be moving my feet. And I tend to, you know, when I'm having to focus on whatever it is I'm doing, the email or whatever, I stop moving my feet. With the mini tread, which is always running, my feet are always moving unless I turn it off or take my feet off of it. So to me, I guess it's just a, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but, uh, you know, it kind of keeps me going, keeps me honest as a, you know, and keeps that multitasking thing going. That's, that's the big advantage for me, I think, and for a lot of folks. In our case, what we have discovered is that you can control the speed of the treadmill too, so that you can you can say, okay, I want to you know gradually increase this, and so you're you're gradually increasing the aerobic activity that you're doing, even though it's with just the legs. 
Exactly. And if I start to get a little tired, I, I'll, I'll slow it down, you know, or if, I, if I'm actually going to have to think about something or, or actually say something or type something as opposed to just sitting passive listening, I'll, I'll crank it down a little bit. And then, you know, when things are easier, I'll crank it back up again. So you, you got lots of options. It really does move quite, uh, you can get it to roll quite quickly. And if you get it to go on the fastest that you can do, you're working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two and a half miles an hour doesn't sound very fast, yeah. but just no, do it, it for doesn't. 20 minutes and you'll, <laughs> you'll see what's uh, Yeah, there, there is that. Carrie Muth, you can t- speak. So I wanted to say a couple of things. One is, um, I didn't know about this under desk uh, treadmill idea. I went out and I spent $500 for like an elliptical recumbent bike. And, you know, the way I viewed it to myself is, hey, that's less than a gym gym membership all year. So, you know, when you're sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, that's a lot of money. But then if you're going to a gym, that's way less and you're not having to try to get transportation or whatever. You don't Um, have to get rained on either. (laughs) That's true. And I will say two and a half miles an hour. I walk with my guide dog around three miles an hour. Two and a half is still a good clip. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, for people watching the ACB community calls, our first lady, hang on, say, girls quiet. Our first lady, Leslie Spoon, does um, yoga classes and a cardio class. Um, and then on Saturdays, there's usually a thing called Angel Eyes and Fitness that does one. Um, and that Angel Eyes and Fitness, you can go to their website and it you they offer free Zoom ones every week. Um, and their membership is like five bucks a month and you could have unlimited access to a lot of videos. And, and both of these, both Leslie and Dawn, who does the other are great at describing what you need to do as a visually impaired person. So those are some good resources to know. Right, that's great. It could, because that's the one thing I found is I, I would try to listen and see if I would understand. And for somebody who's really focused on giving good instructions, that's going to be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And, and somebody that, you know, is used to doing that, you know, it makes a big mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Do we, do we have any more questions? Yes. Jeanette, um, Katash, you can speak. I have recently been fascinated by jumping rope. And here's my question for you. I've had knee replacements, so I know that I can jump, but I know I need to be careful. Do you have a suggestion as to how I could modify jumping rope so that I can do it at my leisure, at my speed, just as something different to do. And I'll give you an example of what I'm asking you. Would I get, could I get benefit from twirling the rope and then stepping over it quickly and then twirling the rope and stepping over it quickly or just hopping instead of jumping? Absolutely. And, and the surgeon will be happier if you do those sorts of things because <laughs> once is enough. Um, yeah, so any anytime you're moving, it's going to be helpful. And the less impact, the better off long-term for the joint replacements. So just like you mentioned, just kind of swinging around, doing just a little hoppy step over. Um, I, I saw something a few years back that I purchased for a friend that actually was a jump rope without the rope. 
So it would travel easy and be smaller. So it was like the two jump rope handles that you would use with your hands, just like as if you had a jump rope in your hands, but it didn't have the rope mechanism. And any time you like pick up, set down, pick up, set down with your feet, you're going to get excellent balance work, gentle impact, which can actually help your bone health, decrease the risk of fractures. And it is very hard work. I mean, aerobically, jump roping is super challenging. So beneficial for all the cardiovascular and all that. So anytime you're moving and and the less impact right now, the better given the replacements. Great idea. And anything else we have? Any more hands? Jim O'Neill, you may unmute. I do have issues with my knees and... uh, I think the doctor did tell me down the road you're probably looking at knee replacements and uh, even now riding a stationary bike is hard. What would you recommend? Uh, And also, could you comment on the pricing for the uh, treadmills or whether or not they would even be beneficial for me? And I'll I'll mute now. Thank you. I can say that, uh, and I wish... uh, you know, um, actually Thursday, if you want to come in our Zoom room, the CEO of On The Move just had knee replacements and uh, she's on the mini tread and the doctors have actually told her that, uh, you know, uh, there's actually some studies going on with the uh, mini, using the mini tread in rehab and also a term I hadn't heard until recently, prehab, where you actually, you know, get those muscles going before you uh, have some traumatic, you know, a surgery or whatever uh, type of event. So uh, definitely we have folks, um, you know, using it's meant to be designed with your with your knees straight if you're sitting high enough, you know, in a high enough chair so that the uh, your knees are straight. And on the machine, then uh, you should be really good. Uh, as far as the pricing, the normal price is four forty nine. Is uh, our normal uh, discounted price for for the retail is four ninety nine. Uh, we sell it for four forty nine normally, and during the convention until Sunday, we're selling it for four twenty nine. Is the price? I would say the stationary bicycle is one of the kinder exercise equipment pieces of exercise equipment for knee problems especially you know when people get bone on bone which unfortunately is relatively common so anything to take more strain off in the the motion so that the mini tread and other things that don't force you into a particular knee bend gives your knees some ability to work within what they have so on a bicycle, it might force your knees harder into a bend than, than they care to be. The other thing, a lot less convenient, is going in, into the water. So any aquatic exercise, aquatic walking is going to take the strain off of the knees. But of course, you have to you know leave the home and get to a pool. So if that's something that's enjoyable and accessible, that's a good option. But um, you know anything done in, in sitting is going to be better. Great the other question. thing is the stronger knee muscle, the quadricep muscle, the big muscle on the front of the thigh, the stronger that is, the more shock absorption and support you get for your knees. So maybe working with somebody to do some knee strengthening exercises that don't cause pain that might help your knees to feel a little better as well. Thank you very much for that. 
Karen, and any other hands up? Karen Hughes, you may unmute. Hi, everybody. Thank you um, for this presentation. I'm enjoying it. Um, I have I have two questions. One is for um, Steve. Um, if you can tell us, um, with that uh, treadmill that you were describing from On the Move, um, is there any accessibility, any assembly that's required for that? I know you said we can use it out, out of the box, but I didn't know if there was an assembly with that. So uh, that's my first question. And then my next question is for Karen. Okay. Um, the answer to you, your first question is you take it out of the box, you take the power cord out of the box, you take the remote out of the box, uh, plug in the remote, um, which is, uh, you know, a typical old self, uh, quill cord, phone cord to plug one end into the remote, one end into the device, uh, plug in the power cord, flip the switch on and turn it on. The audio manual that we recorded, uh, describes in great detail the remote, which is actually got just six buttons on it. They're all different shapes and, uh, the manual, which we have, the MP3 manual describes uh, where the buttons are, what shape they are, what they do, um, you know, how you plug it in. It's, it's, you'll have it running in less than five minutes. Uh, it's, it's, couldn't be easier. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And then for Karen, um, my um, question is, is, is more in, in depth. So I have a, um, a permanent um, injury to my arm, so I can't, um, you know, as far as weights, I can't hold a lot. Um, and I also have um, osteopenia. And so, like, my, low, my um, bone density is low. Um, what, do you, what would be your advice um, as far as, like, resistance training and, and weights for somebody that has, um, you know, uh, damage to the, you know, nerve damage and uh, range of motion um, issues to an arm but want to, wants to increase the bone density and... Um, get the fitness in and that kind of thing. That's a big question. Let's, I'll try to hit it (laughs) relatively. That's okay. Um, so the, the most important thing you can do to protect your bones from fracturing is to not fall. So here's my broken record on being sure to do balance exercises. Almost all fractures are the result of a fall. So that's really important. Then any resistance or weight bearing through the bones can be helpful the hip and the, the spine are the two areas that we worry about the most for fractures. So strengthening with, you know, you can stand and put exercise band around the ankles and raise one leg out to the side, raise it out back, you know, just some general hip region muscle strengthening exercises, sitting and standing from a chair without using upper extremities to help, climbing stairs, preferably without touching too much for balance, excellent strengthening. Um, Core work doesn't require the upper body very much. So um, doing core work, but you do want to avoid like the curl sit-ups like we used to do in in Mm -hmm. elementary and high school Um, because that curling of the spine you want to avoid. But there's a lot of excellent core exercises. So some Pilates that's adapted. If you Google Pilates for osteoporosis, you're going to hit on some nice stuff there. Um, and, and then for the upper body, you might be limited, but I would just do the best you can with weights and it might be one extremity rather than the other. But again, we're going to fracture an upper extremity only from falling. That's how wrists get fractured. That's how shoulders get fractured. So the balance work is critical there. So the 
resistance exercise is a little less important in the upper extremities. So you can still work with the really important areas with the core and the lower body. Okay, that's I hope good. That helps. Yeah, my my yeah, no, no, it definitely it definitely helps. My balance is pretty good. I I'm into dance and I, I do that fairly often. So I have good balance and flexibility. It's just you know, I want to increase my bone density and um, improve my fitness. So thank you so much. Yep. Dan- dancing is actually really good. Any impact surprising the bones. So picking your feet up and stepping, and we talked about jump roping a little bit ago, um, you know, doing that, but don't use a jump rope. If one, one upper extremity doesn't, can't use a jump rope, then just fake the jump rope because it's really the impact that's helpful. Hi, hi, this is Nancy Unger. And uh, Sharon, I hope you don't mind mentioning this, but I, I, would you go over hydration? Because I know that when I exercise, I get thirsty before, during, and after. And also, um, and exercise does reduce blood sugar. I'm not saying I should eat what I want, but occasionally I'll eat something bad every now and then. And I want to, I want to get, get my blood sugar down. How often would you say? I, I, I want to exercise after I've eaten something, anything, you know, an hour after or right away or what? Thank you. So I, I'm hoping I heard all of it. So I'm, I'm going to answer a little bit and I'll make sure that you, um, you can respond back if I didn't catch all of it. So for hydration, it's going to differ a lot on how much you sweat and if, you know, what kind of climate you're in and that sort of thing. But don't be fooled by a dry climate because we, we're not going to feel the sweat, but it's, it's there. It just evaporates quickly. So if you're exercising, California, very hot here, very hot. Okay. So yeah, taking in some water in advance. I mean, water is going to be the first source that a lot of us should use for exercise. Um, And especially if we're talking about diabetes and blood sugars, we want to stay away from a lot of those sugary, um, you know, the Powerades, Gatorades, those sorts of things. So water is really excellent. People in extreme situations can take in too much water, but that's really long endurance athlete type things. So I would focus on water and I try to, you know, take it enough, several ounces at a time, as long as your belly doesn't get sloshy and icky. So um, before is good, especially if it's a couple of hours before, so it kind of gets in your system. And then probably every 15 minutes or so while you're exercising to take in, oh, you know, a a small, like two to four ounces at a time. And then afterwards being sure to take in more fluids. If you do sweat, there are some non-sugar sports drinks that have electrolytes. So when we sweat, we lose a set of electrolytes. So water is great for the most part, but I would look for some of those zero calorie sports drinks. You're not going to get the carbohydrate, but Generally, you're not looking for that. Certainly, there's plenty of options there, um, but you'll you'll replenish a few of the electrolytes that you lost. Let me know if I missed part of the question. Um, yeah, about lowering blood sugar. I think that's what I was saying. Um, uh, it, let's say you eat maybe something you shouldn't eat. I don't. I try. It doesn't give you carte blanche. I know that exercise doesn't. But we'll we'll reduce blood sugar if you if you do pretty. Um, a good aerobic workout, like uh, let's say you eat dinner and you had some uh, macaroni and cheese or something, you know, should you wait till about an hour after, or let's say lunch, it might be hard to get to sleep if you wait too late in the evening to exercise. You know, if you eat something, no matter what it is, you want to lower your blood sugar, isn't exercise a good way of lowering the blood sugar also besides medication? It, oh, exercise is a great way to lower blood sugar. 
So there was a study done a few years back where they had individuals walk on a treadmill because it's an easy way to, to do a study. And so one group did 45 minute walks and they, you know, like four times a week. And the other group did 15 minutes after breakfast, lunch, and supper to have the same number of total minutes and actually blood glucose lowering immediately and over the course of the total time was better with the group that did the 15 minutes after the three meals. So you're getting it in your system and then you're burning back off. The food starts to turn into glucose within, you know, five minutes or so. Um, So really once you're done eating, as long as your belly doesn't feel too full, you're fine to go ahead and exercise. Um, The other good thing about exercising a little bit after a meal is I think for some people, it's a a bit of a deterrent to not take in so much. If you're eating and you know, you're going to be moving around in a little bit, maybe we don't want so much food in our belly and we stop a little bit sooner, but yeah, within 15 minutes after eating, go ahead and do a little bout. It is incredibly helpful in lowering blood sugars right at that moment in time. And, and over the long term, it'll last perfectly. Well, thank you. Thanks. Jen. Sure. And aerobic is a great way to do it. Um, it. That steady paced exercise, moderate pace, really generally creates a nice smooth decrease in our blood sugars so we don't have issues. And Christy, you may unmute and speak. Thank you for this presentation. It's awesome. I have a, just a comment. I am a health coach and I am... Um, very interested in working with people to help them in so many areas of our lives. It's not just uh, exercise and nutrition. It's also surroundings and, and sleep is very important. Um, so I really appreciate this discussion. And my name is Christy Crespin, and I'm from California. Um, and Steve, I have a question for you um, about... Uh-oh. We lost her. You still there, Christy? Christy's there, but she's not talking. Uh, uh, she probably, there's there she is. There she is. And I have a desk chair. So, um... You start that over work? because part of your... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. ...declaration got away. Okay, so I, I'm a health coach. I live in California. My name is Christy Crespin. Um, so, uh, Steve, is the mini tread able to work uh, if you have a lower computer desk um, and a, you know, a rolling desk chair? Or because I noticed that I probably can't put the, the sit mill that I have there. Yeah, um, the devices, it's not so much important as to whether or not it's under your desk. I actually have mine next to my desk um, just because I've got cables and a speaker and a bunch of other junk under my desk. So it just it's easier for me to have it to, to my, my side and be able to turn. The important thing is you want to have your knees straight when you're uh, so you want to be sitting high enough that your your knees are are not, you know, totally bent when you're on the uh mini tread and so either a higher chair or actually what i did for a chair that i've got that's not high enough is i went out and just you know bought a a seat cushion 
And we actually have folks that use wheelchairs that will just do an extra seat cushion in their wheelchair to get them up a little higher. Um, so, you know, anything like that, that, um, you know, get your, get your knees so they're fairly straight. That's going to be the optimal way to get the most out of the, either the mini tread or, or the sit mill that you have. Kathy Casey, you may unmute. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for this presentation. Just a, a comment. Um, I go once a week. You talked about using a physical therapist. I actually go to a physical therapy um, place, and I worked out an arrangement with one of the physical therapists and asked him if he would be willing to work with a couple of us um, I said, yeah, we could join a, a gym or the Y, but there's no one available to work with us on the machines. And he said, yeah, you're right. And he said, it's also not, you know, it wouldn't be safe. He said, I absolutely, he said, I'd work with you. So we go once a week and we got a routine going. We use the bike, we use the uh, pull downs and rows and stretching exercises and the vibration machine and, um, uh, I bought myself, uh, I call it a peddler. It's actually a bicycle pedal, and you just go around. And in fact, as we speak, I'm doing it right now. And that really, uh, that really works. So that's something I'm doing. That's great. I think a lot of us in physical therapy focus so much on a particular injury or, you know, working on balance or whatever. And in, in my area, working with people with diabetes, um, my focus is, you know, certainly on that, but how does a person have generally good fitness? And that goes beyond. So I'll, I'll tell patients or people I'm working with, when you go to therapy, you know, ask them if you have a particular area that's important, but then also general fitness. And when you're in there, you know, get on the bike for an extra 15 minutes or do whatever. So it's nice you have that arrangement where you're really working on your fitness, but with that guidance. So thanks for that comment. Nina? Hi, I wanted to thank you for this presentation. It was really great. Um, I have a question um, for the um, the woman. Um, so um, sometimes um, I have diabetes. Um, after I exercise, my sugars go higher than they were before I started. And um, I wanted to know if you could speak to that. Um, if you have... Um, any ideas if there are things that um, you should do so that doesn't happen? Um, and then probably about an hour after I exercise, you know, they'll start going back down to about where they were when I, when I started. So um, I don't know if that has anything to do with um, the time of day that I'm exercising or um, if that's a phenomenon that happens to sometimes to people, I have type 1 diabetes. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you said it because other people have that happen. So I mentioned before, like aerobic exercise is generally a great way that you get this smooth decrease in blood sugars. And we're separating it out from what, you know, eating and all that sort of thing. But as exercise is stressful to our body, that actually causes a short-term increase in blood sugars. So the more strenuous an exercise is, the more likely that is to happen. So whether it's aerobic exercise, but you're really pushing it, or more likely doing like weight training or you know vigorous like muscle work, the, the blood glucoses can go up. 
there's nothing really you should do about that. It's a temporary thing that is not what causes long-term problems. That's not what's going to cause the acute complications like for type 1 uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. Your liver is like shooting out this stored glucose. Like, here you go. You're doing this exercise and it overshoots. You throw in adrenaline, which is a stress hormone that your body gets, which sends blood sugars up. That's part of its job. As long as, as you mentioned, over the course of the next hour or so, the glucose goes down, then your muscles are sucking it out of the blood so it replenishes the muscles you just used and everything is good. The important thing is not to react to that because if somebody sees the glucose go up and uses gets more insulin, then there's going to be a low blood sugar afterwards. So as long as it naturally comes down over half an hour to an hour, that's exactly what you would expect to happen, and it's not going to cause any problems. Thank you very much. This has been an absolutely fantastic presentation, and I want to thank both of our presenters, Karen Chemis and Steve Bauer, for a fantastic um, presentation. And I want to thank everyone else, whether you be on the Internet or whether you be on our Internet radio streams. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, As I said earlier, ACBDAORG is the email address. That's ACBDAORG is the email address that I want to make sure you all remember. That's if you would want to find out more about what you've seen here. Uh, we would be glad to have you as a member, and the dues are ten dollars. And um, we really that that we use PayPal right now, and there's a membership page on acbda.org that you might want to go to to check out what's there. And I really hope everyone does enjoy coming back with us. We have email listservs that we can go through at. Uh, ACBDA uh, at acb-diabetics at acblist.org is the email address. You can send a message to acb-diabetics plus subscribes plus subscribe at acblist.org to join the email list. You don't have to be a member there, but we are through here. Our codes for the ending uh, code is 40413. That's 40413. Again, I want to thank everyone for a fantastic presentation and thank you all for participating. Um, can you repeat the email address again? Because I don't think you said the whole address. ACB.org at gmail.com and the other ACB. DA.org will clear that up. And if you have the membership page there, you can get your information there. Thank you very much for a fantastic presentation.